0: Again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. This time, looking at Mid South Wrestling television from February 5th, 1983, as taped on February 2nd, 1983, at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I am the great Brian Last, and joining me this week, as he does each and every week, of course, you know him from Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, how's it going?
1: Is going great. I gotta say, we're entering a period in Mid-South where some things are getting ramped up, and we got some ongoing storylines that'll eventually pay off. We still got a little ways to go related to what I'm talking about, so I don't want to give away any, any spoilers, but things are great. I think we're entering, feels like a a, a different phase in 1983, and that's that's kind of where I want to leave it in today's intro. I think... Just things are, some different things are happening, and uh, you'll see these things come to fruition and play out over the next several months. But it's it's another fun time, man. I'm looking forward to it, so let's do this thing.
0: Well, this episode and next week's episode from the same television taping are very similar to some of the stuff we've recently seen in 1983, where for every hot angle, for every big match, we're getting preliminary guys or lower-card guys or, in some cases, lower-mid-card guys having competitive matches against each other on tv and we get a little bit of that again here this week and like i said again next week but before we get going you said things are changing there's things happening there's big mid-south wrestling news let's go to the open of the show right now boyd pierce with cowboy bill watts
2: i'm your host boyd pierce matchmaker Grizzly smith with another outstanding card you'll see hacksaw jim duggan in action also kamala the Ugandan warrior is here Mr. USA, Tony Atlas in the ring against Kelly Koneski. Andre the Giant, the eighth one to the world, versus not one but two big men in a handicap tag team battle. And tag team action sees the junkyard dog back to join forces with Mr. Rassing number two, the man that will tell you about it with the expert description, our guest commentator, Cowboy Bill Watts.
3: Well, thank you, Boyd. It should be an exciting evening. And, of course, we've just received very mysteriously... The North American title back. Matchmaker Grizzly Smith said he received it by registered mail. No explanation. No Staggerly. The junkyard dog has attempted to take Staggerly's place and has taken his place in some areas. And Staggerly, there's no comment from him. But the North American title has been returned, which puts Smith South in a very awkward and unusual position because this is one of the most prestigious and valuable belts in wrestling and apparently has been abandoned. And what Mid-South and Charlie Lay are taking up, and they will come up with a solution. A lot of rumors are flying. There's a rumor, I don't know, that uh, that Ted DiBiase claims that the junkyard dog is saying that he told uh, Staggerly's probation officer and is cooling his heels somewhere. I don't know. But we do know this, the junkyard dog is back. He's officially here. He's, on the, he's, he's been appearing in the Mid-South area. He's been welcomed with tremendous acclaim. As a matter of fact, Steve Tingley has developed a full-color album on the Junkyard Dog. It's in the arenas around the Mid-South area, and it's tremendous. I looked at it. My kids love it. Uh, color pictures all the way through. Some of the best action shots I've ever seen. And I know people will be looking for this in the different arenas. Then today, let's get right to the action. As you said, in the ring, Tim Horner and Sonny Rogers. Let's go to Reece about
0: it Well, first of all, Mike, I can't tell you how badly I want one of those junkyard dog albums that Steve Tingley, I guess his name was, put out. It does look pretty cool. There's a centerfold of just the dog bloody amongst the fans. That looks really, really cool.
1: That's a great. That's a great picture. That one in the middle that you're yeah. talking about when he's he's in the middle of it and, and the fans are like chanting and. I have no clue where that photo was taken. I, you know, I want to say New Orleans just because, but I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's I'm, what that's I just thought too. Guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you got um. It it looks like a. I mean, it's mostly African American uh, young guys around him, but I mean, it looks like it could be a mixed crowd too, as well, uh, somewhat. But I I don't know, man. But that that's that it, that would be something to add to a a mid South collectors you know, collection. I mean, that's, that's some good stuff. So I agree with you. That would be really cool. Brian, the funny part about this segment, if I could say something about it is I when you watch this, I, when I saw this, when I was younger, I, I guess I was just too young naive. You just don't know what you don't know at the time. And I was like, man, you know, Stagger Lee turned over the belt and it mysteriously appeared versus now you kind of look at it and you're like, Well, I mean, I guess that's what they had to do because dogs back and it's not like you have both of them out there all the time. I mean, I know they did it a little bit, but not every single week you wouldn't want to do that. I'm thinking eventually it would be just too much burnout because, I mean, we knew, you know, it's dogs. So that's one thing. But I don't know. This is this is interesting. I love Watts saying DiBiase claims that Stagger Lee may be hiding out or cooling off. And then Watts insinuating that, you know, Stagger Lee is hiding out from his probation officer or something. So that's why he had to to mail in the freaking Belt. registered mail. Well, I hope he got insurance on it when he freaking <laughs> put it in the box when he sent it to Watts. I mean, you know, I can't think of another more prized possession floating through the Mid-South mailing system and in, P- in post office in Louisiana than than a Mid-South North American title. I don't know, you tell me. That seems like it would be pretty prized. So hopefully uh when it when it came through They disguised it in some way, shape, or form, and it didn't say from Stagger Lee to Bill Watts. I don't know. I think think in
0: a situation like that, Stagger Lee uses the S Lee, just like he did before he officially came out the first time.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. So maybe maybe they put S. Lee on it, but I don't know. I can't think of anything more prized floating through the mailing system in, in, in the Mid-South area than the North American title. But there you have it. Stagger Lee has mailed it in, or they don't even say mail it in. It just mysteriously—oh, no, they did. They said mysteriously received it via mail. So there you go. We'll have to see. Stagger Lee, he's hiding out from his probation officer, maybe. We don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens.
0: We then get our opening match. It's Tim Horner versus Sonny Rogers with Alfred Neely as the referee. The left side of the ring, I guess, when you're looking at it from the straight camera angle is empty. There's no one there. It's just dark, no chairs, no people, Uh, which creates an interesting look on some of those side shots. What do you think, Mike?
1: It's amazing. You don't have my notes and I've got the same thing. The left side of the ring where they usually, you know, have all the chairs out. I mean, we've seen it as four and five rows deep. I mean, remember when they had the Louisiana State Fair? The episode with Duggan in a gorilla suit, man. They, I mean, they had kids there, but I mean, there's five, six rows of chairs back there on that on that tape. And if if my memory's correct, so there appear to be no chairs, and um, I don't know. It's 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 a light number of fans for this week's tape. Indefinitely.
0: Well, there's some things happening in and around the world of wrestling. Let's get an update right now from Cowboy Bill Watts about where Steve Doctor Death Williams is. Mike, you and I have talked in the past about the USFL, so you hear a little bit about that here, as well as what happened in Dallas on Christmas night. Let's hear Bill Watts' thoughts on the Freebirds-Von Erich feud that had just started, which just gives him an opportunity to go off on the Freebirds. Let's hear this.
3: Steve Dr. Death Williams has reported to camp in the new United States Football League for the New Jersey Generals, and they've drafted him, number one, as a defensive middle guard. I'd hate to be a center looking across the line. Steve has really captured everybody's attention in the short time in pro wrestling. He's made everybody respect him. Also, the wrestling world abuzz with Kerry Von Erich in his match with Ric Flair for the North American title, or excuse me, not the North American, the National Wrestling Alliance title, in which Michael Hayes of the fabulous Freebirds reverted true to form and cost Carrie Von Erich that title and a big feud in the Texas area uh, with the Von Erich family and the Freebirds. And, of course, you know, a lot of people think people have changes of heart. I find that unless there's something a lot stronger than man-made, unless it's some kind of a spiritual change, that people just don't change their heart, and the Freebirds certainly Michael Hayes has always been a selfish, self-centered, arrogant, extremely arrogant individual that controls the mind of Terry Gordy, a big, giant athlete, just a weak man that has no leadership ability of his own, and, of course, Buddy Roberts, which is a man that's always sought the easiest way in life. But they're against the Von Ericks that has a great leadership ability, and their father, Fritz Von Erich, three of the boys wrestling pro already, Kerry, Kevin, and David. They may have bit off more than they can chew.
0: Well, there you hear it, Mike. Some thoughts from Bill Watson. interesting thoughts. I love listening to him just go off on the Freebirds for no reason about what's going on in Dallas. The Freebird-Vanera Von feud that has kicked off and really ignited world-class championship wrestling, taking it to a new level in terms of popularity. Already, I mean, already the houses are up.
1: Yeah, the, the houses started going up. And it's amazing when you go back and watch it. Sometimes I wonder if they realized just just how much of a hot ticket they had when that happened in Texas that night. Because like, the, if I re- remember correctly, January of 83 there, I, I think they were still kind of not really pushing it as much. If you go back and watch some of the TV from those weeks and then they realize, wait, wait, we, we, we really got something here with, with these guys. Uh, I was waiting for what's disappointed me there. I wanted Watts so bad for him to call Michael Hayes a sissy again, but he didn't. Now, he he wasn't nice to them in any way, shape, or form, but I always love when uh, Watts gets on Michael Hayes with his long hair and calls him a sissy and insinuates certain things about him.
0: What about what he said about Terry Gordy? Whatever he said, like, weak-minded or whatever he said. You know, he's a weak individual yeah. that Michael Hayes takes advantage. And Buddy Rogers... Buddy Rogers, Buddy Roberts, always looking for the easy way out. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, just just bagging, just bagging on them, you know. I mean, and it look, it makes sense because they got the history right in the in the territory. So I mean, this is '83, and and we all know what went down with with them and Dog and whatnot. So I mean, the history's there. So you know, give Watts credit. It also gave him something to talk about during this match with Sonny Rogers and Tim Horner. And that's not a shot at Sonny Rogers and Tim Horner. We've seen Tim Horner a lot now in mid south uh, as a preliminary guy and enhancement talent uh we haven't seen sonny rogers but you know it gave him something to talk about in a match where it's a cold match there's nothing these guys have no real storyline history here so he's got to got to talk about something uh, or else he's just going to be talking about the holes and maneuvers that the guys are putting on each other
0: well he'll talk a little bit more about the finish later on in the show the finish of the match is tim horner winning via disqualification Due to karate thrust to the throat, which in no way incapacitated Tim Horner. He kept on fighting, kept on dominating. The referee called for the bell. The match was over. He was disqualified for karate thrusting him in the throat. Any thoughts on the finish here, Mike?
1: The the irony of this right here is I was just watching an episode of World Class with uh, one of my co-hosts, Lance Peterson, and who I do a World Class show with, in. Killer Khan got DQ'd for literally almost the exact same maneuver. And I remember thinking to myself, Lance and I both said, wait. We don't remember that. He DQ'd him and it's out of the corner, almost in a similar way, except Con was on the opposite side of the ring. Yeah. I didn't know what to think of that. The funny part was Alfred, Alfred Neely, he kept going for a while and he wasn't calling for a DQ. And then it took a little while. He's saying, no, no, no. Like you see him, you see him going, no, 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 no. Like it's over, but they just kept going. I mean, they went on for like another 30 or 45 seconds before it was officially over. Or did I, did I see that incorrectly? I thought Alfred Neely knew right away that it was supposed to be over, but it was a, w- it was
0: just weird. It was just, you'd never see a match end like that. And right. it just ends. And you're left with a lot of questions. And because this is Mid South Wrestling and Bill Watts, those questions will be answered. Just give it a little bit of time. That's the great thing about Mid South Wrestling. But like I said, Tim Warner wins via disqualification. And then we get. Hacksaw Duggan, the Louisiana State champion, in a non-title match against Joe Stark, with Rick Ferreira as the referee. The fans are cheering Duggan once again louder, maybe than ever before. Any thoughts on this match, Mike?
1: Um, they, look, Duggan is a he—he's a star. I mean, it's not—it's it, not difficult to see. They're—they're they're cheering for him. They love him. They—they. They, It's easy to see what we see in the future. And I I, I guess I don't want to say anything more because we kind of you and I do a good job of not really giving out spoilers on this show, even though this this stuff is 30, you know, 30 plus years old, 36 years old. We still do a good job, I think, of not really foreshadowing everything that's coming, even though some of the stuff is obviously known uh, or all of the stuff is obviously well known. uh, But for people watching along the first time, we don't really talk about it. But I mean, you can just see what Watts saw and Duggan coming along and where this thing ends up with him and why he's such a star. I mean, he, I don't even say he's a star in the making. Like he's a star right here. You, you can, you can see it. The fans react to him. It's just good stuff from him.
0: Well, it's one of those situations where the promotion didn't have to turn the wrestler, the fans
1: turned him. Right. It's
0: happening because the, he probably would have been a heel for another year. If the fans booed him nonstop.
1: You know, you know, what's funny. You say it like that. Steve Austin, I know in the early days of his podcast, would always reference organic, you know things being organic, and this is a dug in in mid south eighty two eighty three is a perfect example of how things can be organic and happen just because and not because of planning oh, we're going to turn this person here, we're going to turn this person there. This is a great example of of watching someone become a different, Not I don't want to say character, but just turning because of the organic nature of it and not because someone said, yeah, we're definitely going to turn him. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, makes perfect sense. And that's what you think. That was what I thought. Let's hear what Cowboy Bill Watts thinks.
3: I agree with Hacksaw Dugan, but you got to respect him. He is a tough, rugged man, a guy who has no personal regard for his own safety. Former All-American at SMU, who uh, everybody watched their football fortunes this year. They were right on top. Played Canadian football, also played for the Atlanta Falcons. A man known for his illegal spear. More known for just being a rough, rugged guy that just seems to be cooking at high boil all the time he just is always he's ready to go you don't have to send him an engraved invitation for a fight he'll fight you he's turned a few of the uh drinking establishments throughout the mid-south area in the parking lots from what i understand imagine he and redneck dick murdoch who's got quite a reputation in the in that situation uh Would be a rugged combination and a rough, rugged match. When you think of matchups, you think of a Murdoch against him or Tony Atlas. Or, of course, Chavo Guerrero uh, upset the guy right here on TV. And it's been stuck in his craw ever since. He's vowed to get Chavo Guerrero. Chavo, the man who finally completely demoralized gorgeous Gino Hernandez. And nobody's heard from Gino in the wrestling world since. Another man I'd like to have seen against Hacksaw is Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Even though Dr. Death was still a rookie in wrestling, he'd come on so fast that I think it would have been a great match. Dugan, you spell it with two G's, and he gets a little insulted if you don't pronounce it right. Proud of his Yankee heritage. Man uh, was a New York State high school wrestling champion. Oh, look at that awesome power. Do you see how he just picked Joe Stark up and just breaking his back right across the knee? Dugan is just a he's just a brawler, a young Dick the Bruiser type. Of course, and he and Tony Atlas, you know, they it just it's a it's amazing what chemistry there is sometimes that create these situations with people. And Hacksaw Dugan has just seemed to single out Tony Atlas. He's degraded him and insulted him. Tony, a great athlete with a lot of tremendous power reserve. Tony can make more mistakes than the average guy because he's got that power reserve to get out. But against Hacksaw Dugan, you've got really some had some battles with them that just been unbelievable.
0: Well, there we hear it, Mike Bill Watts talking about Jim Dugan or Dugan. As even after saying he gets insulted, he went right back to calling him Dugan by the end of the match.
1: (laughs) Okay, he's trying. Brian, I gotta stop you. He's trying. He. This is the 1983 version of Twitter trolling at this point with with Watts. With the- <laughs> this is he knows exactly what he's doing because him and Boyd have done it numerous times and they keep doing it. Do, do, it's Dugan with two G's and no good damn well it's Dugan. I mean he's just Watts knows it. He sees this is epic troll level right here. This is it. This is 1980s trolling is what this is. Real quick though, something that doesn't come through in the audio, Brian. And I were talking about how you know D- Duggan is is being turn. I mean, he's organically turning, basically, right here. You're, you're seeing it in the making, although uh, it might be a little slow. But you're still seeing it. You don't hear the cheers as much as you see it on the on the video. With that hard camera shot, every time Duggan does something powerful. That You see numerous fans in the crowd clapping. Now, you don't hear it as much as you see it while watching the episode. So I did want to point that out because that's that's something to, to make note as we were talking about the cheering. And, uh, you know, Duggan was some really powerful maneuvers. I mean, he was just slinging and throwing Joe Stark around right there, especially that finish where he threw him over the top rope and Stark falls back, takes a bump, and he pins him.
0: Interesting little shot at Gino Hernandez in the match, too. I, I mean, again, I know he lost those. Mexican chicken matches the Chavo, and he's out of the territory, and he's gone from. Well, he goes to Southwest, and then he's gone from wrestling for a year. But it's interesting that after the fact, Watts is still like, "I don't know if we'll ever see Gino again." Or whatever he said, you know, he's been degraded. He's gone.
1: Yeah he he wasn't being too kind to Gino right there, but you know what? That's all right. I mean, like, I I don't know if. It, it was a shot in a way but it was also a, a working shot if that makes sense because Gino's gone so he's got to kind of explain it a little i guess is my is what i'm is what i'm thinking of there i mean he 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 just disappears after what happened in him with those mexican chicken matches which oh my god they, every time i think about that i'm like someone please have footage of that i am just curious but I, I, yeah i mean he was taking a sh- let me ask this for, for you i thought he was i thought he was taking a shot but in my opinion it was more of a working shot do you think it was an actual shot shot
0: I think it was a working shot, which sounds ridiculous calling anything that, but I think it was a working shot. However, with Bill Watts, sometimes there's a little bit of meaning behind everything. So I think mentioning it, it's a working shot. But Bill Watts, every word means something. Every word is placed there for a reason. He's trying to convey something, some emotion, some feeling, some thought. So I don't know. Gino was in and out pretty quickly.
1: He was. He, he certainly was. There's no disagreement there.
0: You know, not as quick as some other people. Not as quick as Gary Hart. <laughs> you know, not as, not as quick as the Mongolian Stomper. But still, he was in and out fairly quickly. And I don't know, maybe maybe you assume that he's part of the package when you do a deal with Houston. But he wasn't even a part of the package for them after, you know, right around this period of time. He goes back to Joe Blanchard and ends up running against them in Houston at the summit. So, I don't know. Let's see what the listeners think
1: i agree i agree (laughs) but but there's no doubt he did just disappear into thin air so you know there's that part of it you know there's no dispute in that i know i say disappear into thin air i mean from mid-south disappeared into thin air because back then from wrestling he did
0: too pretty much in in a few months he's gone after what may from may until texas stadium which was what may (laughs) from may to may he's gone
1: yeah, I mean like we talked about it on on a couple of shows ago one year I mean he basically disappears for an entire year. I mean even if you were a tape trader he disappeared. I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like you you saw him elsewhere. I, that's that's for certain. Yeah,
0: unless you had secu- <laughs> unless you had security camera footage of a nightclub in Miami, you no tape <laughs> trader saw any Gino Hernandez footage for a year.
1: In the words of my co-host Chris Hopper, that's real classy Brian last.
0: <laughs> it's real true. It's really honest is what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. By the way,
0: more about that on an upcoming 605, but uh I'll tease everyone with that. But uh Jim Duggan wins. He throws Stark throat first onto the rope and then just pins him. That's not illegal.
1: No, it, and it that's what's funny. It's not illegal and it was vicious looking, too, man. <laughs> it was
0: a lot worse than the throat thrust from Sonny Rogers. I'll say yes. that. So yes. that's the match. Our next match, Kamala. With General Skandar Akbar and Friday versus Buddy Landell with Alfred Neely as the referee. I think this is right around the period of time where Buddy first discovered steroids. (laughs) Brian, you got any pills? In this case, it wasn't pills he was looking for. No, I think if you look at Buddy's uh, upper body, I think this is right around a period of time where... There's a couple-year period there where Buddy was on the gas. I remember he even talked about it. Uh, I think this is right around where it may have started. But... It's, it's a Kamala match, and Bill Watts has a lot to say about Kamala because Andre the Giant, they've been teasing this Andre-Kamala confrontation for a while. Well, Andre's there, and Bill Watts also received an interesting letter. Let's hear this audio right now from Cowboy Bill Watts about Kamala.
2: Event Buddy Landell in the red tights against Kamala, the Ugandan warrior. In the ring with him is his handler and man Friday, and alongside the general Akbar, his manager. Bill, this should really be a battle because he has no sense. He lets up on no one. as that's
3: been proven? That's right. You know, uh, the match everybody wanted, the eighth wonder of the world Andre the Giant Kamala, and Andre wanted it. You know, anytime there's a challenge to Andre, he just doesn't believe one man has a challenge. And Andre is very unhappy because he feels that with Akbar and the man Friday's interference, he has not yet had one on one, but he also has not yet measured the man. He hasn't defeated this Kamala. They've had a battle. It's unbelievable. Every promoter in the country wants it. Look at this savage as he starts his ceremonial type dance. Buddy Landell, a powerful young man. Buddy Landell bench presses close to 500 pounds. That can give you some idea of the tremendous strength Landell has. This also can maybe explain to you that strength is not everything. If you don't have the wrestling skill to go with the strength and don't know the leverage and the maneuvers, you can be the strongest guy going and you just, it just won't do you a lot of good. But Buddy Landell, I'll give him credit. He tries everybody and he's a young man in this business and I I predict one of these days you'll see Buddy Landell being a top star. But it's an awesome thing. Look at this man. 385 pounds. He leaps He moves around the ring, spent so many time in his homeland. We got a call in Mid-South office in Tulsa from a young lady from ORU, Oral Roberts University, that is from Uganda and said that she knew Kamala in Uganda. Must have been an awesome individual there. Of course, the manager, Skandar Akbar, a man that's unscrupulous. He has this man on lease. We don't know who controls Kamala, and the man Friday never says much of anything, just seems to always be there. Kamala is really dishing it out to Buddy Landell.
0: Well, Mike, let me make a correction. I said a letter. It was actually a phone call from a student who said that she's from Uganda and she knew Kamala there to which Bill Watts said he must have been an awesome individual there. How did Bill Watts say any of that with a straight face? That they got a I, phone call in the Mid-South I, I, office from some woman who knows Kamala from Uganda?
1: <laughs> when he said they got a call from someone from Oral Roberts U who knew Kamala from Uganda, I was waiting on more from Watts when he said that. Like, my ears went up, like, dum, 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 dum. okay, Watts, please say some more. I I, I don't know. And he said it. To your point, he said it so nonchalantly that I was like, did he just say what I thought he said? (laughs) No. And then I rewound it to hear it again because he started off that whole scenario really like that soundbite right there is good. You know, he's talking about everyone wants Kamala versus Andre. He builds up the battle of these two big men. And then, and then Watts puts over Kamala, you know, saying, Hey, Budro's got a 500 pound bench press. And, but even Kamala has no problem with this guy. And, and then Watts even puts over buddy some more. He says, man, one day he's going to be a top star. So, you know, he he's, he's rolling right there with what he's talking about with Kamala and buddy. And I feel like he was, you know, kind of tipping his hat to maybe something we'd see from buddy later. I don't know if that was his ultimate plan. But he sounded like it in a way when you know what's coming. And then he just goes on that thing about the call from someone from Oral Roberts. And I was like, what? I was just waiting for more. I I was dying for more. Unfortunately, he didn't give us any more. But I'm with you. How did he keep a straight face? By the way, why
0: wasn't there more? What did she say? I mean, did she just say, (laughs) hi, I'm calling to say I'm from Uganda and I know Kamala. He's an awesome individual here in town when I'm in town, when I'm out at school. Okay, thank you. Thanks for calling. Or did they get more information? What else did she say? Right. Right. Did Jim Ross answer the phone? He's not on TV. He's working in the office. Who answered the phone? Who screened this phone call?
1: (laughs) I want to know more, man. What the hell's going on right here?
0: This is crazy. All right, well, Kamala (laughs) wins. Two splashes to Rose back, and then he rolls him over. Our next match, Tony Atlas, Mr. USA versus Kelly Kaniski. With Rick Ferreira as the referee, it appears Atlas is trying to grow a mustache here. It appears that that is a mistake. And we get a little bit of audio here, Mike. Let's go back to the beginning of the show. The throat thrust, the karate thrust to the throat that led to the disqualification. What are the rules in Mid-South Wrestling? If you saw that earlier, you're sitting at home. You're probably still saying, what the heck was that? Well, here's what Cowboy Bill Watts says.
3: Thinking back to that first match between Tim Horner and Sonny Rogers, it was a disqualification due to Sonny Rogers throwing a karate blow to the throat. There are certain things in the Mid South area that are automatic disqualifications. If you run your opponent's head into the ring post, into the steel ring post, that's a disqualification. If you intentionally throw them over the top rope, that's a disqualification. That's a judgment call by an official because oftentimes a guy will get caught with a drop kick and go over the top rope, and that's not being intentionally thrown over the top rope, so it's not a disqualification at that point. If you attack your man after the fall, that is a disqualification. If you hit the referee, that's an automatic disqualification. And also a karate to the throat. Or to hit your opponent with a foreign object. These are all automatic disqualifications.
0: That's why I love Mid South Wrestling, and that's why I love Bill Watts as the commentator. He just explained that. It made perfect sense. These are what causes disqualification. Someone's gonna hear that and go, Oh my gosh, so out of touch. But it made sense and it led to you know things that people cared about. But there it is. No thrust to the throat. That's an automatic disqualification.
1: He also mentioned foreign, a foreign object, uh, so no thrust to the throat or foreign object. Uh, what I do like what Watt said, and he's done this before because we've seen this in numerous matches where the referee kind of has leeway, he's mentioned how, re- how the ref has leeway in making certain calls. He's, he's, he said that a bunch of times because we've seen numerous shenanigans in Mid-South Wrestling over the last year and a half. But I will say the only thing you could technically nitpick is would you consider the top rope a foreign object, because Jim Duggan just just larn darted Joe Stark halfway across the ring and dropped him on the top rope, to which it came down on his throat and then Duggan pinned him. I'm not saying it should have been a DQ. I'm just saying uh, I under I could see how someone would nitpick what Watt said. Now, at the end of the day, the thing that allows it to happen what D- Jim Duggan did in the, in the previous match also is, well, the ref used some leeway and said okay well we can let this happen so there's that but to the to the greater point you made watts always will explain his way out of things and i won't say if it's always out of things he'll always explain why things are the way they are And the 99 of the time they make sense unlike today's wrestling
0: tony atlas wins with a press slam and then a splash into the pin and then we get on Mid-South TV, for the first time since about a year ago, actually. I guess that six-man tag with him, the dog, and Dusty was the beginning of 82. Andre the Giant in a handicap match against Mike Bond and Tom Renesto Jr. with Alfred Neely. As the referee, let's hear the introductions from Reeser Bowden.
4: Now a handicap tag match in which one man will be wrestling two. This event is for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. In the red corner, at 245 pounds from St. Joseph, Missouri, Mike Bond. And his partner at 242 pounds from Hollywood, California, Tom Renesto, Jr. And in the blue corner, standing all alone but very tall... The eighth wonder of the world, seven feet,
2: four inches tall, 485 pounds, Andre the Giant. Two against one or one against two, whichever way that you want it, but that one, seven foot four, 485 pounds from the French Alps, Grenoble, France, Andre the Giant versus Mike Bond and Tom Renesto.
0: Well, there you hear it, Mike, the introduction, a rather research introduction for Andre the Giant.
1: That intro speaks for itself. I don't know if I could add much more, but to repeat, Reeser, standing all alone in the blue corner, or st- no, and in the blue corner, standing all alone, but very tall. And <laughs> it's just the face he makes. Ah, man, I love Reeser. He is, he is great. He has been a great, who would have known, all these years ago that we would do a podcast on this and we would get so much joy out of Mr. Personality himself, Reese Bowden.
0: Whenever the WWE Network finds an old episode or old clips from Mid-South, from actually before it was Mid-South, when it was Tri-State Wrestling, which I actually don't think they own the rights to, but whenever they find any of that footage and they put it up on a network, one of the things that makes it so exciting is seeing Reese. I mean, it's 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 weird when you see the old studio or the old set and there's Boyd and he's dressed like Boyd bill watts is dressed like 70s bill watts not as classy as early 80s bill watts develops into here like you know the cowboy businessman he's more of like disco cowboy still and then Reese, who's just Reese. and it's one of the reasons i love when those clips pop up it's like the same cast of characters the same host and the same commentators and then all the chaos around them
1: (laughs) i just i can't get enough of him man he's he gets hung out to dry sometimes or when he doesn't get hung out to dry, he does this. And I mean, he wasn't trying to be funny there. He just was being Reese and in the blue corner, standing all alone, but very tall Andre, the giant. It's just that dry. It's <laughs> a humor. Ah, God bless Reese Bowden. so much joy all these years later, laughing at him.
0: Well, that's what, Reeser has to say about Andre. Let's hear what Cowboy Bill Watts has to say on commentary.
3: Well boy, I'd like to say, generally when you have a handicapped match, it means two against one, but as it means tonight, but you can certainly look out there and see which team is handicapped. And I know the rules call for the outside man to have to tag legally in, but I'm sure the referee will allow these guys to try anything they want. Against Andre the Giant, it's just an awesome situation. You know, this man made a lot of people obsolete when he came into the wrestling business because you've seen big, huge men before. There was Haystack Calhoun, who was 640 pounds, but he was only six foot four. And there's been some big guys, but when Andre came in, seven four, 485, and he's mobile, and that's the key. He can move. I thought the greatest challenge to Andre in a single match was about three, four years ago, was Ernie Ladd, who was 6'9", 320 against Andre. But Ernie was unable to beat him. It appears that right now, Kamala, at 385 pounds, with Akbar in his corner and his man Friday, have given Andre the Giant his greatest challenge to date in the Mid-South area. Killer Khan once inflicted a terrible injury on Andre, caused him to have to go in the hospital. He was in the hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, for a month with an ankle injury and Andre the Giant chased Killer Khan all over the wrestling world including Tokyo, Japan and has beat Killer Khan into almost mincemeat. Both men at the same time in on Andre. They both come in together. Look at the contrast in size. This man wears equivalent to a size 23. cowboy Made by Tony Lama awesome and Andre is very unhappy with the outcome of some of his matches with Kamala and said he wants to settle the issue because he doesn't like people bragging about the fact that he has not been able to beat them and this savage Kamala with Akbar behind him is getting too much publicity Andre wants to finish it, he wants it one on one and look at these two men out there these are big men, these are good sized men
0: well, let's stop it there, Mike. I don't know where you get your Tony Lama boots, but Andre and his big Tony Lama boots destroy Mike Bond and Tom Ernesto Jr. You know, one thing I did notice, we, we've talked so much about the JYD's weight gain, you know, beginning here. You're starting to see the love handles fill out. And, you know, where it is a year later versus two years later in the WWF. Same thing with Andre. So many people point to his ankle injury and say, that was it. That was the end of Andre. That was the end of mobile Andre who can move. He's still in okay shape here, and he's still moving. But you look at Andre here and look at him two years later in 85, and you can see the weight gain. And then a couple years later, he's barely mobile. So, I mean, this really, 1983 is really the last year of mobile Andre.
1: You make a good point. And I haven't seen a ton of his footage like prior to, you know, this time frame, but you do see it. Like you see he's, I mean, you can see the gut and you can see him starting to slowly not be able to move like he could. But I mean, I've seen those, I've seen those clips of him from, from years earlier than this. And I mean, he is just m- as mobile as you can, as you can get for a guy, his size. I mean, he, he really was a, I mean, I'll call him an athlete because I mean, I, I, It's amazing when you see how a man his size used to be able to move. And here you could see the slowing down. And like you said, they attribute some of it to the the ankle injury that he had. And, I mean, it's got to be hard, man, when you're a guy that size. You know, eventually it's, you know, just like a car has parts that kind of wear out those joints and everything. I'm no doctor, but I got to imagine, you know, when you're carrying around and you're that much girth and you're that big, it takes its toll eventually on your body. And and yeah, man, he, he gets to the point where, like you said, it's just he's immobile. But here you see the size coming, but it's still amazing how much more he even he even gains after this point.
0: Andre wins after he throws Tom Roneso off of the top rope onto a downed Mike Bond and then just sits on top of them, which pops the fans in the Irish McNeil Boys Club. Coming out of that, Bill Watts has some more thoughts, some closing thoughts on Andre into an interview that he conducted with the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne. Let's hear this.
3: boy, next week our main event on Mid-South Television Wrestling will be Tony Atlas, Mr. USA, and 7'4", 485-pound Andre the Giant against Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne for the Mid-South Tag Titles. Now, Andre has not been one to be on any championship quest. He says being the Giant is a worldwide championship because he's been in such unusual matches. Most of the time, battle royals or handicap situations. But he has a tremendous friendship for Tony Atlas, and Atlas said he's fed up with the Rat Pack because it seems like whenever you face two of them, There becomes a third with Hacksaw Duggan. We talked to Matt Bourne and Ted DiBiase earlier, and we will show you that interview now. I'm standing between the two co-holders of the Mid-South Tag Team Championship, and next week, right here on Mid-South Wrestling, they have formidable, to say the least, opponents that they're going to defend the Mid-South Tag Titles against, none other than the world's strongest man, Mr. USA Tony Atlas, but he will be teamed with the eighth wonder of the world, seven-foot-four-inch, 485-pound
5: Andre the Giant. That's a raw deal in itself, but before I get to that, Bill Watts, I got something I want to say that has just seemed to drop out of the picture. Two weeks in a row, Stagger Lee was supposed to defend the North American title against me right here in this ring and failed to show up. By failing to show up, he therefore forfeits the match. By forfeiting the match, he therefore forfeits a North American title. I want my belt. I am the North American champion. I should have been all the time, and I should have it now by forfeiture. And on top of that, Junkyard Dog has started a nasty rumor that I squealed to Stagger Lee's probation officer, causing him to be put back in prison, and he's serving time again. Now, that's the biggest lie I've ever heard. The lie is that There is no Stagger Lee. Stagger Lee is, in fact, the junkyard dog, and all you people know that. This is just a big runaround so he can protect himself. Now, on top of all of that, Mid-South is trying to get rid of us. Can you imagine? It's not bad enough. Yeah, we're the Mid-South tag team title holders, and everybody can't stand it. Well, that's tough. So now Mid-South is going to go get the strongest man in wrestling, Tony Atlas and put him with the biggest man that ever walked anywhere, Andre the Giant. Now, if that's not trying to get rid of us, I don't know what is, Bill Watts. But something's going to be done about it, and we'll hang on anyway we have to. All these people out here, Bill Watts, we know that we are the best champions that this mid south's ever had, and after we beat them next week, somehow we know someway, what we got to do to keep it. There's be no we'll doubt see
3: about it, it next week.
0: Well, there it is, Mike. An interview with. Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne, Ted DiBiase, the top heel wearing a sweater that a top heel should probably never wear on TV. It's such a bad sweater on a heel, and he's out there. And I got to admit, once again, going back to that point that beyond the original turn on JYD, DiBiase really has had a raw deal ever since. The JYD is now starting rumors. That DiBiase called the probation officer of Staggerly. Meanwhile, DiBiase knows there's no Staggerly. The dog knows it. So now DiBiase is like, come on, this is ridiculous now. (laughs) Now this guy's starting rumors about me that are ridiculous. And I don't have my title. I love this stuff.
1: I can't, I wanna add more to it, but it's so great. It's so hilarious. I can't, you said it all right there. The the fact that they, they got rid of dog in this heinous way where they got Doug in to do the gorilla thing and come in and knock out the dog and all that good stuff. And now the dog not only got back at DiBiase in a way by coming back at Stagger Lee and screwing him there. And DiBiase all along has said, we know that's JYD and, and the words he said in one promo was no other guy walks like Seth Fred Sanford, like him. So, I mean, he's like, he's, he's been, he's been, you know, preaching on this, on this Hill since the very beginning months ago, months ago. And now, We've got the guy who everyone presumes and knows to be the dog, which is Stagger Lee. Now, starting rumors that on DiBiase saying, oh, no, 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 he called his probation officer, him being Stagger Lee. And that's why Stagger Lee is now not able to show up. DiBiase is like, this is ridiculous, Bill Watts. This is utterly ridiculous. This is can we stop this madness now? I was just waiting for DiBiase right there to look at Watson and say, "Hello McFly, I know that movie hadn't come out yet, but can, can can you wake up please? This is this is absurd that we're even having this discussion right here and we're going here still." So I I just Phenomenal stuff! G- great heel work. DiBiase's got the beard shaved. You know he's so frustrated he shaved his beard, and he's out there with that sweater, like you said. But I just, I just thought this was gold, man. This was, this was really, really great stuff. The whole preparation and of officer thing, and staggerly, it just, it, it doesn't get much better than this. As DiBiase is just like, please stop this madness. We then go to our
0: next match. It's the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Wrestling Two versus Marty Lundy and Don Bass with Rick Ferrera as the referee, but not everything goes according to plan. Not everything goes according to as it's scheduled. Let's hear what happens here.
4: And it's tag team action now for one fall with a 10-minute time limit in the red corner at 250 pounds from Rome, Georgia, Marty Lundy. And his partner at 280 pounds from Pampa, Texas, Don Beck. (laughs) See that junkyard dog.
5: Before this match starts, we're gonna we want to buy the contract. We're gonna buy their con, your contract and wrestle these guys and show all you people right here, right now, today, who lives up. I want to Look, we'll pay for the contract. We'll buy the contract and wrestle these guys and show all you people right here, right now, today, who lives up. Look, we'll pay for the contract. We'll buy the contract. You guys will go on. We'll take this match, and we'll take these guys right now here today on television. But, oh, this, uh, this is a good chance for us. Look, wait a minute. This a good chance.
4: Well, negotiations got underway. At any rate, at 236 pounds from Atlanta, Georgia, the Junkyard Dogs partner, Mr. Wrestling 2. And now we'll just have to see who they will wrestle
3: some kind of a negotiation going on out there Boyd, Uh, DiBiase and Matt Bourne attempting to buy Lundy and Bass's contract against the the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Wrestling 2 apparently they've reached some kind of a negotiated well it looks
4: like Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne have bought that contract to engage in this match
3: Junkyard Dog and Wrestling 2 back to back waiting for him to come from both sides trying to form up that Alamo type resistance right in the middle and make him come to them and they've got him and Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne have just taken on one of the most awesome teams in the Mid-South area Mr. Wrestling 2 and the Junkyard Dog and they may have bit off more than they can chew DiBiase and Bourne trying to use some of the same maneuver. There they go. There comes Marty Lundy and Don Bass back in on the action from behind on the junkyard dog. Mr. Two, it's now four on two. You talk about a real handicap going down right here now, Boyd Pierce. A lot of action. The referee doesn't know who's in officially or who isn't. Look at wrestling two. Slam Matt Bourne. Clear off the top. The Junkyard Dog blocked Ted DiBiase as he loaded that club and attempted to hit him and then ran his hand in. The Junkyard Dog and wrestling two are whipping two teams. The referee counted down one man, and now the dog gives a thump to Marty Lundy, and you can see him hit Marty Lundy. you got your chance, and so did DiBiase and Barnes. They just whipped two of the crowds going two, two, two. They rock to the dog's music and react to Wrestling 2. A double
2: victory with both men the winners, and we'll be back with more action after this word from Mid South Wrestling Television Network.
0: All right, on an episode where they're trying to lay out the rules, this is a disaster. Because (laughs) apparently, Junkyard Dog and Wrestling 2 win after they each individually pin Wrestling 2 pinning Don Bass, Junkyard Dog pinning Marty Lundy after. The match began with DiBiase and Matt Bourne buying out Lundy and Bass's contract and starting the match. It makes no sense whatsoever. But the fans are happy. So what do I know?
1: Yeah, this is – okay, so this is one of those things where – this is why I always say you got to be careful when you're a classic wrestling fan and you defend everything because you have to be realistic when you talk about this. They buy out the contracts. They being Dibiase and Born. So then it's it's right away. I mean, it's not even much of a semblance of a match. It's a four way from the beginning. You got Two and Dog going at it with Born and Dibiase. And as Two and, and Dog are getting the best of Born and Dibiase, and they're all over them, Marty Lundy and Don Bass decide, okay, well, let's go in there and help them these guys out because obviously this isn't this isn't working well. Two hits Born with a knee lift and Born takes a nice bump over the top rope. Then two hits bass with the knee lift. Well, what does Ricky Ferrara do? Well he counts he counts out bass. One, two, three, as as two pins bass, which I guess should have been the end, because it's a tag match, right? But then right after that, well, dog picks up Marty Lundy and he hits him with a thump, and Ricky Ferrara counts him too. So again, I say all that to say, when we defend classic wrestling, you gotta you got to be fair. You can't be completely biased and be blind to it. This made no sense. It it, it wasn't it, – it, there was there was no sense of reality in this. And even, even if I use what Watts usually says, which he says, oh, well, you got to give the ref leeway. The ref didn't only give leeway here. He just on the fly said, okay, those two guys – had bought the contract and they were supposed to wrestle, but now they're out the ring. And these other two guys who now technically weren't in the match, they're back in. I'm going to count one, one, two, three. And not only am I going to count him, I'm going to count the other guy, Marty Lundy, one, two, three as well. And, and now J Y D and two win made no sense. Complete jigsaw puzzle cluster muck. Nothing made sense right there, but in the end, the fans were happy. So there you have it. We then go
0: to our next match. Iron Mike Sharp versus Art Cruz with Alfred Neely as the referee. I don't have too many notes about this match, Mike. We'll hear what your notes are after we play a little bit of audio. Here's Cowboy Bill Watts on Canadian amateur wrestlers adapting to America, specifically, once again, a mention for John Tenta.
3: Canada doesn't have the amateur wrestling program as in-depth as it is in the States, and almost all the Canadian wrestling is freestyle, which is the Olympic-style of wrestling. And Greco-Roman, one man that's adapted tremendously well to American collegiate wrestling, is Big John Tenta, the 350-pound heavyweight at Louisiana State University under Coach Larry Shakatana and Lanny Davidson. Fine team LSU, been really come up this year in the ratings. Enjoyed watching them against Oklahoma University. Coach Stan Abel's team led by... Mark Schultz, a two-time NCAA national champion and outstanding wrestler of last year's tournament at 177 pounds. And, of course, Oklahoma State under Tommy Chessborough. Powerful team, led by 400-pound Mitch Shelton at heavyweight. And Kenny Mundy, tremendous athlete at 150. And my personal friend and kid that I watch grow up and take... Three state titles no one before going to college. Leonard Bailey.
0: Mike, it must have been wrestling season because there's a lot of mentions on the shows around this period of time. Just Watts talking about amateur wrestling, specifically Oklahoma, naturally. He's LSU. He's talking about Louisiana. He's talking about the amateur wrestling happening in the Mid-South Territory, but he obviously knows every guy on the team. <laughs> so there's a lot of amateur wrestling talk around this
1: period of time. Yeah, and I think he's just kind of picking his spot right here when you have a match with... Iron Mike Sharp, who hasn't been really involved in anything. I mean, we we saw him as Louisiana champ and whatnot, but he hadn't really been involved in anything recently and whatnot. he's in there against Art Cruz, and you know lots has got to figure out something to talk about, so he brings up amateur wrestling. And I mean, in fairness, he he was into the amateur wrestling scene. I mean, it was it was something he followed in great detail. So, um, and he he he'll do this from time to time, like like we always talked about. So yeah, uh, there you have it.
0: Let's get a little more audio from Bill Watts about the next Superdome spectacular, as well as what's going to happen with the North American title.
3: The next Superdome extravaganza will be Saturday night, April the 16th. Also, the North American Championship, a very clouded situation, a situation that has, in all the years, that I've been associated with Mid-South and the North American Championship I have never heard of, where it's been sent back in the mail to Grizzly Smith. And maybe that gives some credence to Ted DiBiase's claims. But Charlie Lay and the board of directors of Mid-South will have to make a decision. We'll try to have further on that development next week here on Mid-South Wrestling. Because one thing's for sure, that title is too prestigious, too valuable to be in limbo. Too many people want it. Hacksaw and also pushing promoter Paul Bosch to... Bid for and hold a tournament in Houston, Texas for the Brass Knucks Trophy. And I'm all for it. It's a unique type of individual it takes to be a Brass Knucks champion. Quick action out here. Clothesline. Iron Mike just met him with an iron clothesline.
0: Well, let's stop it there. The iron clothesline. I have to say, Mike Sharp does deliver a pretty good. It's not even a lariat because he's so close to the guy, but it's just a a wipeout clothesline
1: yeah it was almost like i don't know if this is saying it right but he clubbed him in the chest with it and it just it knocked our crew silly i mean it well, looks thunders like, through it just, he
0: doesn't just like you know wave his arm it's like he he puts his whole upper body into it and just like goes right through the guy <laughs> it's pretty
1: good yeah yeah he, he i mean look you, there's no doubt you're watching it at home you're going that that's real to me. He, he really, he really clocked that guy and, and took him out. I mean, it, there's, there's no doubt about it the way he hit it. And it was, it was funny the way it happened too, because, you know, he shoots him off and, and Cruz is coming off the ropes. And, and as Cruz, I think he does a, they do a, t- a drop down and that's when Sharp gets up and he catches, the funny part was he caught Cruz, not really in the immediate center of the ring, but close enough where Cruz like is basically only took a half a step from those ropes. And, it really looks like a surprise. Like Cruz wasn't ready for it. Like, and I say that in a good way. When I say he wasn't ready, he just he was shocked. a big man, like Sharp, could get up so quick and just deliver that thunder and clothesline to him, and look good. I mean, it was a good finish for two guys that you wouldn't sit there and think, "Oh man, this is a great match." But good finish right there.
0: But to what you said earlier, I've liked Mike Sharp in Mid South Wrestling, but now it kind of feels like he's there a little too long because yeah, he doesn't seem like he's in the mix for anything.
1: It's true. He's not in the mix for anything. And this is that old thing that that corny always says. And I know you've heard it a million times from him and I've heard it for years now from him. He you the the thing about that made the territory so successful is the guys could go away and you could miss them. And wrestling really wasn't truly made for the most part for a national spotlight because you you can't go away if you're in the national spotlight 100% of the time, or you, you literally have to take somebody off of television for months. And I'm assuming nobody really wants to do that because you're still paying them. So you want to get your money's worth out of them. But a guy like Mike Sharp for him right here, he, he had done some good things in Mid-South. He wasn't a main eventer, but you know, he, he had a really nice run here and it's just, his time is just run its course and it's time for him to go away for a little while. And some guys, some guys can stick around longer than others. And some guys, they have shorter runs, but it was, it was time. I mean, he, he just, he's at the end of, uh, he, sh- he should be at the end and people just are like, all right, we like him, but they're not really doing much with him. So yeah, there's that.
0: Well, here at the end of the show, Bill Watts throws to an interview with a tag team we're going to see next week. Andre, the giant and Tony Atlas. Let's go to this interview right now.
3: Here on Mid-South Wrestling, though, we have a dynamite event for you. We have Tony Atlas and Andre the Giant against DiBiase and Bourne. Let's listen to Tony Atlas and Andre the Giant. I'm standing here between the team that will go for the Mid-South Tag Team titles next week right here on television, the most formidable team I've ever seen, certainly the ones that DiBiase and Bourne are worrying about right now, Seven foot four, 485-pound Andre the Giant.
1: Thank you, and I'm very happy to be there, and I always said I don't want to be a champion. But when Tony Atlas t- asked me to be a team them to go for the Mid-South Tag Team Championship, I was happy to sign that contract because I was, I'm a good friend with Tony, and I'm going to do all my
5: best. And I know those guys are the best because they're the champion, but they have to prove it, who is the best, our team or their team. You know, it
3: looks like you may have set an ambush.
5: Yes, sir. You know, that Rat Pack, every time you get a tag team partner, is always one of them come slipping out. If you're wrestling Matt Bourne or Ted DiBiase, that Dugan comes slipping out. If you wrestle Dugan and Ted DiBiase, however it be one slip out. But I got Andre the Giant here. He'd be just as big and just as powerful at four minutes. Together, we're going to get the job done.
3: Next week, right here on Mid-South. Well, Boyd Pierce, next week, I know everybody will want to be in their chairs early for Mid-South. We appreciate you inviting us into your... Living Rooms again today. Again, Stagger Lee has disappeared. The North American title has been sent back to Grizzly Smith. That will be answered. Possibly next week we'll have some answers, but we will have a fantastic tag team battle.
2: It has to be a battle. The championship will be on the line in a sanctioned match. Mr. USA Tony Atlas and his partner H1 to the World, Andre the Giant, versus the champions Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne. Until next week. For our guest commentator, Bill Watts, I'm your host, Boyd Pearson. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for watching us. You're the reason the ratings are so strong. You're the reason that matchmaker Grizzly Smith can spend the money to bring them to you. Thanks for watching, and good evening.
0: And with that, we close out another episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. Mike, any closing thoughts on this episode?
1: No, nothing, no, nothing to say other than I look forward to the next episode where we get to see this tag team match and we'll see Andre and Tony Atlas and everything that ensues from that particular episode. Really, really good stuff.
0: I thought Andre's English sounded pretty good there, actually.
1: Yeah, he... I, I I remember as a kid, the first time I heard him talk, I was like, what's wrong with him? I and, mean, I, you know, because you don't know. I mean, I, I didn't know if I realized it. Uh, probably, I, I, again, I didn't I didn't know it wasn't his first language. So but uh, yeah, I think he I think he I think he's fine here. You can you can make him out. I mean, it's 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 not it's hard, man, when English isn't your first language. Heck, try learning a second language when English is your first and see how see how you sound. It's uh, it's not easy. So, uh, yeah, he sounded good there.
0: Well, as we wrap things up, want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. And, of course, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Vanguard. And you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts for classic wrestling talk and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. Mike. How can the listeners stay in touch with you and Booking the Territory?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. And then you can check out Booking the Territory twice per week. We drop shows on Thursday and Sunday nights right now. And on Thursday, our, it's our NWA show. Sunday is our Smoky Mountain Wrestling Recaps. You can find those at tinyurl.com slash Pod or just search "book in the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. We are the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. The jokes are terrible, the humor is bad, and it is not politically correct. But come give us a listen and enjoy as we sometimes make fun and then other times enjoy Southern Classic Wrestling. Brian, another fun episode. I look forward to the next one.
0: The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!